Be Wealthy and Smart, Episode 86. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. I have an exciting announcement to make. This is the Be Wealthy and Smart podcast's first anniversary. That's right. It's been one whole year, and I can't believe it. And I'm so grateful for you listening and for the milestones we hit this year, like being voted in the five best personal finance podcasts of 2014 and being featured to 20 million listeners on Roku Smart TV. For our anniversary celebration, I wanted to bring you something really special, a special guest and a really super special interview. This interview is amazing and a perfect way to celebrate Be Wealthy and Smart's anniversary for several reasons. Jeff Hoffman is the most successful person I've ever met. He and his co-founders built a dream into a $60 billion company, that is Priceline.com. Jeff is as I said, the former co-founder and former CEO of the company. Not only did Jeff build a multi-billion dollar company, he has also met many other ginormous goals. In this interview, we go into depth about his secrets to setting and hitting enormous goals. For example, Jeff shares how his goal-setting secrets even worked to win him a Grammy recently on his very first album, who does that? It's crazy. This man sets amazingly high goals, unbelievable out-of-reach goals, and reaches them all the time. We're going to share with you how that works, whether you want to become a successful entrepreneur, build wealth, or accomplish huge goals. Listen up, because Jeff and I are about to share it all with you. Here we go. Jeff, welcome to the Be Wealthy and Smart Show. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Excellent. I'm so glad to have you here. I met you, oh gosh, I guess about a month ago in Los Angeles, and you did a fabulous seminar, and just, I really learned a lot. I was so impressed by you. I wanted to have you on the show and just share your entrepreneurial tips and ideas and just so much about what you shared with us in LA. I wanted to get out to the broader audience, so thank you for being on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Can you tell us how you started? How you how did you come to start Priceline? Like where did that idea come from and how did this small seed of an idea grow into this gigantic megalith company? Sure. So, you know, first of all, it was uh Priceline was a whole team of founders, um which I think is an important point right off the bat because uh you can't do it alone anyway. <laughs> which I think is the mistake that a lot of people make is uh, is thinking that they're capable of a lot more than they are. Um, it takes a team of people with a mix of disciplines uh, in order to pull off something really big. And, and we had a whole team of different types of people all together. The uh, idea came from a gentleman named Jay Walker, who had an intellectual property company called Walker Digital. 
where he came up with ideas for how to improve the efficiency of industries. So Jay's the one that came up with the idea that became Priceline, but I think here's another probably important piece of that same uh, conversation is that lots of people in the world have ideas and very few people execute them. So I think that, that you know, well, Jay's idea would have just remained an idea like so many other ones that, you know, how there are people that wake up someday, see something on TV and say, oh, wait, that was my idea. It was your idea. You might have thought of it even before the person that did it, but you didn't do anything. Exactly. And that person went out and did it. So I think for us, it was assembling a team of people that could take this, you know, some of these really good ideas that Jay had and together actually launch a company about them. I will say this. I have a sign in my office that says the following. It says, ideas are welcome, but execution is worshipped. Uh, and that's kind of a fundamental belief that everybody talks and few people actually go and do something. We were very, very focused on going from idea to execution. Wow. Well, in your wildest dreams, would you ever have thought it would be as large as it became, or was that all by design at the beginning? Okay, so the answer is half and half. Uh, there's a little yes and a little no there. Um, I don't think any of us at those early days when it was a small group of people ever thought the company today does business in like, you know, 180 countries and territories. Um, uh, it's uh, a couple hundred million paying customers and, you know, it wound up becoming a $60 billion company. Nobody ever thought that. You know, people talk about things like maybe one day creating a billion dollar company, but no, it, it became bigger, I think, than anybody's dreams. Um, however, it did that because it was able to, and let me explain that. You designing for scale is so important because there are people that their business might be something that uh, you know they would love to grow really big, and they're not capable of it because they didn't design that growth possibility, that scale into the business. So, well, I don't think anybody ever expected Priceline to get that big. On the other hand, we designed a business. It was capable of scaling just in case we got the chance. That's such a great point because so many entrepreneurs don't think about scaling and they're, they set up their business and it takes up all their personal time. And it's so crazy because right now with technology, everything for the first time is possible to scale. And so why do you think more people aren't setting up scalable businesses? Yeah, I think you're right. And for a small business owner, what happens is when we start the business, by definition, we don't have employees. We have to do everything ourselves. The mistake we make is because that's how we start and we're used to doing that every day, we never break the cycle. So people never get around to scaling because they're so busy every day with, you know, being Hercules, carrying the world around on their shoulders um, and doing everything all the time. And, and so they literally just never, uh, never look up. Um, and it uh, and never get a chance to scale. So we were early on saying we were very conscious of that fact, and saying if this business is ever going to get a chance to grow really big, what do we have to design into the business at the very beginning? How do you design a company uh, that has a chance to scale? What do you need to know way early on? And can you share some of those things with us? Yeah, there are a lot of uh, uh, you know. Uh, David uh, Finkel and I obviously wrote a book called Scale specifically to address this, but 
One of them is the one I was just talking about, which is the fact that even though as a small business owner, you're doing everything yourself from the beginning, you should be from the beginning designing yourself out of that job. You should be constantly looking and saying, here's a list of things I'm good at, and here's the much bigger list of all the things that somebody out there is smarter than me at this area, and I need to start looking for those people now. Not, not when your back's against the wall, but now, before you can even afford them uh, or need them, you start building a team, making connections, meeting people, and lining up people that are smarter than you in all the areas that are not your expertise. So designing your company around other people from the beginning and then just constantly looking to find those people is really, really important, and that is not what most people do. They, they just keep running the business themselves until the day it, it, you know, they'll tell us, I hear this all the time. Um, people will say to me, I'm working harder than I ever have before, and yet I'm, grow I'm not growing. How am I putting all this effort in? I've given up my whole life. I have no personal life. Why is this business not just taking off? And it's because they've, you know, they've built a very inefficient model that centers all around them. Yeah, because usually what we find is that the entrepreneur is the one that's the roadblock, right? Yes. <laughs> Because everything has to come through them. They have to approve everything. They have to do everything. They have to be the one. And so they end up being the roadblock. And I've actually found that myself doing that sometimes. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, you know, it's a source of pride for some people that say, I know every one guy said to me one day, one CEO and business owner, he said, I know everything that goes on in my company every day. Nothing happens here that I'm not part of. And I, he said, I'm a great CEO. I said, you're a great bottleneck. Exactly. <laughs> I said, nothing can get done. What if you're out sick? The whole business just shuts down for that day. Are you kidding? So again, your job is to design a company where if you don't show up at all that day, everything continues to run smoothly. Design yourself out of a job. Yes, and now with computers the way they are, it's becoming easier for people to be solo entrepreneurs and have a very large company, don't you think? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, when, when you build service industries built around tech, it doesn't require more people to scale in a linear way. It requires another server, which are cheap and can be added in two minutes with no training. So people that build service solutions around technology have the ability to grow really fast and really cheap in an unprecedented way. That's how a company like a Priceline could be doing business in 180 different countries and territories because you don't have to have people in all those to do it. It's a technology solution. So it is creating the opportunity for less people to run more and bigger companies. So one of the things I talk about is a side hustle. And that's, you know, while you have a corporate job, if you want to become an entrepreneur, to start your business on the side. Is that your philosophy too? Or do you think people should just jump in with both feet? So here's what I think. Ultimately, for you to be successful, you need to jump in. You need to be 100% focused. However... You don't have to do that on day one. But what people do is they just keep putting it off. Well, one day when I quit this job, one day I'll start, one day I'll start, and then one day you turn on the TV and someone else has already built that idea. Um, so if you can't quit today, I think that you are correct. You can start your side hustle. Start learning. Start digging in. Start building something. Spend your time, your free time from your 9 to 5, spend your free time getting educated and getting experience and talking to customers in the market and building a prototype. So I absolutely believe that you should start now and stop making excuses 
you can do it on the side from your job, but I will also say that when if you get if you if everything you see and hear, all the research you do leads you to believe that you're right on, that you your idea is a good one, it's going to work. Then you, I do believe there's a jumping point where you got to say, I'm going to have to dive into this head first and give it my 100% effort for it to have a chance to succeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ultimately, I I totally agree with that. So are you of the opinion that someone has to have a really great idea to start a business or they can start a business with something else out there that's already making money but do it in a way kind of like what Warren Buffett says where you're creating a moat around the business that makes it more unique and hard to replicate and things like that. What's your philosophy around what kind of a business to start? You know, either of those work. Um, of course, it depends on your, uh, your goals. But the truth is, your odds are better um, if you discover, if you think up something before anyone else has thought of it. If you do have a great idea, great ideas tend to take flight on their own and develop wings and develop followings and attract investors. So if you have a great idea, go with that first. I, I think that your odds are better at succeeding. But to your other point, about <clears throat> doing something that may not be the world's greatest idea, but you're building a business around it. The reason I'm supportive of that, if you don't have this brilliant idea, is that you don't really know, I'll give you the example, you don't really know what's out there. You don't know anything until you jump in, until you dig in and start building something. And that's when the world starts to take shape around you. So my example is, um, I, I literally walked by and saw this. Uh, there were these, I don't know what they were digging, but these people were getting ready to dig, but they were just standing there with shovels, not doing anything. And the one guy said, shouldn't we start digging? And the other guy said, well, I don't know if there's pipes down there. I don't know if there's plumbing. I don't know if there's rock underneath this dirt. I don't know if there's cable TV. And so they just stood there because they didn't know the answers. And the other guy said, well, shouldn't we just start digging and we'll find out? Um, And in business, when you start digging, not only do you find out, you might hit a thunk and say, ah, that's rock, we should dig somewhere else. But now you've got information. Now you're in the market, now you're learning stuff. But amazing other things happen. Somebody walks by and say, what are you guys doing? And you say, well, we're digging this plant bed. And they say, I wouldn't dig there if I were you. I used to work for the electrical company. We ran the lines right there. And you say, wow, thank you so much for that information. And someone else says, what are you digging? You say a plant bed. And they say, you know what? I actually was gonna put a new sidewalk here I'll help you guys dig this as long as we can share the space. But my point is, things happen when you jump in. When you start to launch a business and you get out in the marketplace, things happen. The idea changes, customers give you info, partners appear. None of that happens while you're sitting safely on your couch at home. That's right. There's no momentum that happens. There's no you know, spiritual interaction that happens. There's right. no you know, divine intervention that happens when you're not no, taking action. Right, because you're not giving it a chance to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you put that energy out in the world, it comes back to you, but not until you start that. So, Jeff, one of the things that is so amazing about you is that you set really super high goals, and then you achieve them. I mean, a lot of people set really high goals, but they never achieve them. So, can you share with us what your secrets are to how to achieve really high, hard goals? So I think that's important. First of all, let's start with this. Sometimes people tell me when they set not very high goals, they say, I'm just being realistic. And I think that's just a silly response. 
because if you write it off to, I'm afraid to dream too big because I'm just going to be realistic, you know what happens? You set, let's say you set a not very impressive goal, a not high goal, and you achieve 100% of it. You haven't achieved much. If you set a really high goal and you only achieve 70% of it, you're still way ahead of 100% of a small goal. So you always tell people you might as well shoot for the stars because even if you don't get it, at least you're out of orbit, you know, you're in orbit somewhere off the earth, um, even when you don't get there. But I think the real key to achieving really high goals, probably two things. One of those is, is focus. Um, entrepreneurs come up to me and they say, oh man, I got these I did six different business things I'm working on. And I tell them the same thing every time, drop five of them and pick one. I don't know people that succeeded by building six things at once, but doing one six of six tasks. Everybody I know that's achieved big success, dropped everything and stayed with that thing that was their big idea until it was done. So be focused and people will say to me, but if I drop those other five ideas, someone else will steal them. They will. But the alternative is you do one six of six things and never achieve any success. If you drop five ideas, pick the best one, and stay focused on getting one thing done really well, you'll have five new ideas when you're done. Your all other ideas might go to pass, but you'll have five new ideas. So I think that, that uh, uh, being able to focus on one thing really hard till you finish it is a discipline that the most successful entrepreneurs have that other people don't. I would say the other thing about that goal setting is break your goals down into bite-sized chunks. If you have some big giant goal, let's say you were, you know, let's say your goal was to launch a company like Priceline that one day is in over 150 countries. You don't start by working on a 150 country company. You start in, you know, in, in Iowa, right? Then you expand to, you know, whatever, the central United States and the Great Plains areas. Then you look at a national rollout. So your, your dream is big, but you execute in measurable chunks. Were we able to do good in the region? Can we roll the region into the east of Mississippi? Can we roll east of Mississippi into the entire United States? Um, you step at a time, you measure your progress along each of those steps, and you set small goals along the way that add up to big giant goals at the end. I sometimes see people that say, we're building a global company from day one, and it's such a big daunting task and they work and work and work, and they may have, in fact, by now covered the whole U.S., but they're in one company, country out of their 150. So they say, wow, this is just taking forever. It's too hard. It's too long. They give up because their, big, their goal, their big goals are so far away, it doesn't feel like you're getting closer. So give yourself step-by-step -step goals that allow you to get closer and to feel the progress so that you know you're always moving forward. Great advice. So I want to drill down a little bit further. So... When you set goals, do you write them down always? Oh, I, Linda, I think that's a great question. Um, not only do I write them down, but I make posters of them. They're either on the whiteboard or they're posted on the wall so that I see them all the time. And let me tell you why that's so important. It's not just the motivation. So I absolutely write them down, then I stick them on the wall where I can see them daily. And the, the reason is one time somebody said to me, geez, Jeff, it looks like you've done a lot of stuff in your life. And, and I started realizing that the reason for that was efficiency. I don't waste time on stuff that isn't driving, taking me somewhere I want to go. So I was able to get a lot done by being efficient. And I was efficient because I could look at those posters on the wall, glance at my goal, and say, 
What am I doing today and is it getting me towards that goal? Um, I'm going to give you a quick personal example. Uh, when, what I wrote down when I was young, a personal, not a professional goal. But the personal goal was visit 50 countries in my life. Before I die, through the course of my life, I want to have visited 50 different countries. And I wrote that on the wall. And I actually put that on my bathroom mirror. So I would see it when I got up and I'd see it when I go to bed. And one day I was in the building at the job I was working at. And I was in the elevator and I saw a good friend of mine. And I was like, Brian, what are you doing here? And he said, Jeff, I work here. I said, wait a minute, I work here. And I was like, how did I not know you work here? And how did you not know I work here? He said, oh, no, that's crazy. I said, where do you work? He said, on the sixth floor. I said, oh, I work on the fourth floor, and I don't really have anything on the sixth floor. I have no reason to go there. I've never been there. That's why we never met. So I went back home that night. I'm brushing my teeth. I'm standing at my mirror where this goal I wrote down said, visit 50 countries. And I said to myself, 50 countries? I don't even go to the sixth floor. <laughs> so how am I ever going to visit 50 countries? So I stopped, and I asked the question, but I want all your listeners to ask themselves. If you wrote your goal down and you looked at whatever you're doing with your life now, is it actually ever going to get you there? And I realized it wasn't, so I quit. And guess what? People ask me later, how come you picked, how did you wind up in the travel industry? Right? Price on my other companies before that, we were in travel. And here's the answer. How cool would it be if my job every day was to fly to a different country to sell my technology to airlines and hotels? So I said, the goals I had written on the wall, and because they were written on the wall, I kept seeing them. Because I kept seeing them, it caused me to say, am I actually doing anything to achieve those goals? And when the answer was no, I said, time to do something else. And so I wound up starting a company in the travel industry so that the thing I had to do every day, fly country to country, was literally the goal I had set. So again, write them down, look at them frequently, and keep asking yourself, is the thing I'm spending my time on now ever going to help me achieve that goal? And if it's not, you should consider putting it down and finding something else to do. I love that. So, you know, this last year you won a Grammy Award as well, which is amazing, considering that's not your primary, you know, calling in life. So <laughs> tell us, was that a goal for you too, or how did the Grammy come about? It's so funny you said that because... We were uh, standing on the red carpet at the Grammys, and I turned to somebody and said, so this is the dream of software engineers everywhere, <laughs> because uh, it's not. Um, right, I'm by trade a software engineer, and now I'm standing on the red carpet at the Grammys where we wound up, where we wound up winning uh, for the album that we produced. But um, here's what I think it is. I think it's the commitment uh, to bringing your all, either give 100% of yourself to the thing you're doing or do something else. So I think that while winning a Grammy wasn't our goal, our work ethic increased our odds. Because I always tell people, if the thing you're doing with your life is not something that you feel so passionate about that you would give it, put every ounce of yourself into it, then do something else. Find something that is. So I think because we approached everything with the same passionate commitment to doing the best we possibly could. Um, and I'll tell you why that is. You know, Pete, there are a lot of people that don't start things, especially small businesses, because they're afraid it might not work. And I always tell them, uh, there's no shame in life in failing. The shame in life is in not trying, is in going your entire life wondering what you could have done or what you could have been. So what we always say was whatever we do, 
we're going to give it 100% of our effort and do the best possible job we can imagine doing. And if we don't believe we can make that commitment, we don't even do it. We don't even take the first step. So when we did a project like that, you approach the project, uh, Kabir, who, who was uh, the head producer on this album, the guy whose idea it was, but a very good friend of mine. You know, pretty much the opening statement on day one was, let's do this like we were going for a Grammy, even though we weren't. So you should do everything you do in life with your all-out effort as though you're trying to win the top award. And so we put that level of passion and work and energy and love and everything else into the product, which I think is ultimately what gave it the chance to actually win. But I think that's what it's really about, is that, is that we, we attack everything with the same level of enthusiasm or we just don't do it. And that level of commitment gives you more chances to win awards whether you were going for them or not. Wow, what a story. Let's let's go for the Grammy even, you know, just as if. It's sort of act as if. That's are exactly you a, right. Are you a visualizer? Do you do a lot of visualization? I can't live without it. If somebody took away my whiteboard, I think I would that would be the end of my life. Um, <laughs> I have to draw things and part of that is in business and in life, personal philosophy. I think that life is this big mysterious puzzle. We don't know why we're here. We don't know what our, you know, our, our role is, uh, you know, all those existential uh, questions. But throughout our life, every person we meet, every experience we have, everything we do is a puzzle piece. And if you look at everything like a puzzle piece, you have to, when I give you a couple pieces of a puzzle and say, what is this? You have no idea. And if I give you another one, you don't. But once you collect enough pieces and move them around the table... And there's a point at which you can say, oh, this puzzle is an Irish castle, right? Well, life is the same way. And so is business in that, that you collect these puzzle pieces and you try to see what you can make of them. So what we do in business is we look at trends in the world around us. We look at new technologies, right? Um, we look at new industries, new businesses. We consider those business puzzle pieces. And then we try to move them around and say, is there some new opportunity here? to launch some new product in my current business or some new business in this industry that didn't exist yesterday. And the best way to do that is visually. So I tend to write everything down and stare at it. So my whiteboard always has things that I'm thinking about, something that I don't even know why I'm thinking about it. I read an article about distress, I'm making this up, distressed inventory distribution systems. And for some reason it caught my attention. So I'll write on the board, I'll just write distressed inventory distribution systems. And I'll continue to write little other things that, that I'm thinking about, but I'll stare at them. And sometimes I'll erase them and move them around the board and write them again. And what happens is one day you wake up and you say, holy crap, if I did this, 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 and this together, I could actually launch a whole new company. Priceline really did come about that way, looking at a series of new trends and new technologies and saying, is there something in here we could build? And that's what happens when you visually so for me to do that, I've got to visually write down all the ideas that are going out through our collective heads and stare at them and see if there's some pattern there, some way to connect those dots to do something new that we couldn't have done yesterday. Well, beyond visualization, what's really impressed me is how you engage with your employees to motivate them by their dreams and passions. That, to me, was brilliant and was something that I think a lot of corporate America is really missing is to tap into what do people really want? What are they visualizing? What are they dreaming about? 
tell our listeners the story about the employee who wanted to buy a home for his mom. Sure. So I was, you know, again, for all of us, what we're all trying to do is get max performance and commitment and passion and dedication out of every employee. But the way that we do that is not motivating to them. And the, the day that I learned that was some guy wanted me to come join his company. So he said, hey, I'm building this company. Here's what I'm doing and here's what I need. And he told me what I could do for him, what he needed me to do. I want you to hire you to do this list of things. And I listened to it. And here's why I need to, that needs to get done. And when he was done, I said, let me make sure I understood you. I understood you properly. You want me to work eight days a week, 20 hours a day, so that one day you can sail away in a big boat. <laughs> and he said, well, yeah. And I said, well, I was being sarcastic, right? And he was being serious. I said, how is that motivating? You told me all the things I can do to help make your company successful that you own so that you can buy a big boat someday. I was like, you know, it's just not motivating. So then I started thinking, wait, now I'm a business owner and I'm hiring people. What am I doing? And I realized I go to them and say, I'm looking for someone to do this following list of tasks. I, if you come do these tasks, I will give you a paycheck, right? And I was like, that's not very motivating. So I started thinking, why am I building this business? Why are you, Linda, as a business owner, doing what you do? Because there's some dream. Your dream, your dream could actually be, I want to sail away on a big boat someday. It doesn't matter what it is. The point is, you do what you do because you have a dream. So I started thinking, well, that should be, we should share that mission. So then instead of asking somebody, the next interview I did, instead of saying, here's the job, here's what I need you to do for me, I said, hey, put your resume down, let's talk for a minute. And the guy's name was Chris. And I said, Chris, tell me something, a dream of yours. Tell me something that before you die, you have to do this thing for your life to be complete. And he said, oh, that's easy. Buy my mom a house in Florida. And I said, tell me the story. He said, I grew up poor in Pennsylvania in a mobile, not a mobile home, just a trailer, literally a trailer that was so old that it was rusted out and the snow would come in the trailer at night during winter and we'd freeze. And he said, so I lay awake all night saying, no matter what it takes in my life, before I die, I, you know, I'm going to buy my mom a house in Florida. Um, so I printed out a picture of a house in Florida and stuck it on the wall. And he said, why did you do that? And I said, because now I have another mission. It's my mission too. Through your employment, this my company, um, I won't rest until we, we buy your mom a house. And I told everybody else. I went and asked people, tell me a dream of yours. And I said, the, the, my goal is for your career working for me at this company to help you achieve your goal. I want that to be our goal too. And one day, everybody was leaving work. And I said, see you guys tomorrow. And people said, well, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm working on the hallway outside of Chris's mother's house. <laughs> and it was just dead silent because they totally got it. Um, and people started coming back in. And I said, guys, you don't have to come back in. Uh, and they said, well, 30 of us can build our house faster than one. So I had everybody print their, a dream of theirs on the wall. And I said, guys, we are, our goal as a company is to help everybody achieve something important in their life. And when people felt like you as an employer were trying to help them achieve something important to them, not just important to you, the loyalty, I couldn't you know, pry those people away from their desks with a crowbar. They were very committed to the company because they knew that the company was equally committed to doing something for them. Wow. Well, finish the story about the house. 
Well, it was, uh, <clears throat> you know, he had a, this was a startup, and I couldn't pay him really anything at the beginning. And he had a good corporate job, so he's making a decision. And I said, let's just do the math. How long will it take you, you think, to buy your mom a house working at your corporate job? So he computed his, like, two and a half, three percent raise a year, took taxes out of that, right, put some aside for his mom. Then his bonus on the years they got a bonus, took tax out of that, put it aside, and he laughed. I said, what? And he said, it's probably going to take me 40 years to save enough money to buy my mom this house in Florida. I said, oh, there's option two. You come to work for a startup. I give you equity in the deal. I can't pay you like your corporate job now, but you're betting on yourself. The harder you work and the faster and the better you do, the more value you create, the sooner uh, we get paid and, and, you know, and, and the sooner you can buy your mom a house. So anyway, he came to work. At about three years later, I sold the company to a big Fortune 500 company. He got his cut. He took his cut and with cash went and bought his mom a house down in Florida. And the day we took her down there, it's not even my mom. And it was one of my best favorite days of my life because uh, he, uh, she thought it was my house. We tricked her thinking that she was coming to see, you know, I don't want to go see a house that your boss owns or whatever, uh, that she was very unhappy about that concept. And the moment that she realized that this was her house and her son through his hard work had bought it for her, you know, it was a, a dream come through for his, for his life, but a dream come true for her as well. And it was, we couldn't wait to get back to work again and go do the whole thing again for somebody else. Just an amazing feeling that when your hard work gets to impact somebody else's life in a positive way. That is so incredible, Jeff. I think if corporate America used that philosophy, what a different world we would have, truly. Yeah, well, you, you, you're right in that everybody would be more votive, motivated because we would all be working together to make sure that the career of everybody's career achieves something for them, not just for the employer. It's that one way, I give you this paycheck, so you better be thankful you're even getting this paycheck. That's not the way to motivate people. You motivate people by saying, I want to do something for you in return for your hard work here. And if it's buy your mom a house, whatever it is, let's do it. Fantastic. So, Jeff, we're almost finished here. What would be your words of advice for entrepreneurs who want to get started? Um, you know, so the first one is get off the couch. <laughs> and as silly as that sounds, there are so many people, and Linda, I'm sure you know plenty too, so many people that I know that say, no, seriously, this December, this is it. I'm really quitting my job to go chase my dream. And then next December, they're saying, okay, no, this year is really my last year here. And then you see other people, you know, beer in hands, comfortably seated on the couch, saying, I'm going to do this thing, man. I'm really going to, this time, I'm really going to do it. And they just never take that first step. That whole proverb, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, is so true. So the first thing is quit talking about it. Pick up the shovel and start digging something. Amazing things. You're never going to know all the answers. You're not going to know where the pipe or the rock are until you start digging towards them. So quit waiting for answers and using that as an excuse to do nothing. Start digging. I think that's my first piece of advice uh, is because I hear, see so many people that are still talking and haven't done anything yet. And I think the second thing, which was what we talked about earlier, is uh, begin from day one to surround yourself with people smarter than you. Constantly look for people who could be your team that know all the stuff that you don't and are better than you and all the stuff that you're not. I, I, my degree was in software. I was a programmer. 
And in my very first company, I was sitting at the desk one day, and the guys were kind of giving me this look. I said, guys, what's going on here? And they're like, yeah, Jeff, we're going to need you to step away, take your hands off the keyboard, and back away from the desk. And I said, what's the problem? And they said, you're just a really bad programmer. And I said, that's my degree. And they said, nonetheless, you're just a really bad programmer. And I said, but it's my company. And they said, still, you're a really bad programmer. <laughs> and they said, we're better at it than you. Let us do that, and you go find something else to do. Um, surround yourself with people better at you, better than you in every single area, and just start digging. Amazing things happen when you get engaged. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you so much for being with us. How can people connect with you, find out what you're doing, find you on social sure, media? You know, where, where, what would be the next step? I post uh, on, I, I sort of keep everything updated on my LinkedIn profile. Um, I also do the same thing on Twitter. I'm just speaker Jeff on Twitter, but I'm, I'm happy as well. Email is usually the fastest anyway, which is just Jeff at colorjar.com. C-O-L-O-R-J-A-R, just like it sounds. Well, thank you so much. You're so generous to share your time with us today. I know you're a very, very busy man. Thank you for being here with us. You bet. Thank you, Linda. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.